From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come warm yourself by the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Targeted individuals, electronic harassment, mind control, for the full two hours. Derek Robinson will be with me. He is the executive director of a human rights organization called People Against Covert Torture and Surveillance, or PACTS uh, for short, PACTS International. And Derek has been active uh, since 2005 addressing the issues of organized stalking and remote electronic assaults. And he is standing by. And I am coming to you live from my little studio beneath the stairs. Uh, Ian Robertson is behind the big audio board back in Liberty Village. Elbert is involved in some top-secret excavation in the New Mexico desert near Roswell. And, of course, Ryan is running our live stream from his lair. Uh, yes, we are streaming live on YouTube. Uh, tonight, the channel Strange Planet. Please help us get to 16,000 subs. Just hit that red uh, sub button. Uh, YouTube may have demonetized us, but we still have our pride. Now, I'm not sure if um, you can pick this up on the webcam. Uh, my son, North, who is a huge, huge Harry Potter fan. He's read all the books, including the play, I don't know, two, three times each. And he sent away on Amazon recently. And he bought me... This shirt, which he insisted that I wear, the idea is he bought this on Amazon for me because dad, he says, Harry Potter had to sleep under the stairs at his mean uncle and aunt's house. And since I'm in my studio beneath the stairs, uh, he thought this was fitting. It's the Marauders map from Harry Potter. Now, North told me to say this. I hope I get this right. Otherwise, he may strangle me in my sleep. But the Marauders map is this magical document that reveals all of Hogwarts' school of witchcraft and wizardry. And not only does it show every classroom, every hallway, every corner of the castle, but it also shows every inch of the grounds, as well as all the secret passages that are hidden within its walls and the location of every person on the grounds, which is portrayed by a dot. And it's also capable of accurately identifying each person. It's not fooled by polyjuice potions and invisibility cloaks, and even the Hogwarts ghosts are not exempt from this. The Marauders map, the T-shirts. So thank you very much, North. All right. Uh, now on to uh, more serious matters. My introduction to electronic harassment, targeted individuals, came from a, a loyal listener of mine way back in my early days in broadcasting, Eleanor White, who is a longtime targeted individual. And she told me most of what I know about electronic harassment, torture, surveillance. She's also a longtime advocate for fellow targeted individuals. And then my uh, my next introduction happened during the taping of my old television show, The Conspiracy Show, which aired across Canada for four seasons on Vision TV. And I think it was season one. We produced an episode on electronic harassment, and we flew this gentleman up to Toronto from his home in Cincinnati, Derek Robinson. And I was I was struck by uh, his sincerity and his kindness, despite uh, his decades of anguish and suffering. 
And since I met Eleanor and Derek, I've been in contact with probably close to a 100 people who believe they're being targeted for electronic torture, harassment, surveillance. And we're hoping to hear from some of you tonight when we open up the phone lines in the second hour. But right now, let's get Derek Robinson in here, Executive Director of PACTS, People Against Covert Torture and Surveillance International. Derek, how are you? Hi. Great, Richard. Thanks very much for being here. I appreciate it. My pleasure. It's been a long time. I guess it's probably been, what, maybe close to 10 years since you and I sat down and talked for the TV show, 2010, somewhere around there. How have you been? Things are well, and things are improving uh, in the community since we've talked. There's a lot more activity. There's a lot more exposure to the issues, particularly since the news story about the diplomats in Cuba and China Yes. microwave symptoms very close to our own. So we're watching closely that development. So it's a very, very important story. And for you personally, because you are a long-time targeted individual, this has been going on with you for decades. How are you personally doing? Personally, I'm doing pretty well. I would say the first 20 years were really the struggle because I was alone in trying to deal with this huge conspiracy this whisper campaign that was brought upon me by the Department of Defense, the U.S. Navy that I had joined, and it kind of had turned on me. So for about 20 years, I kind of dealt with it and thought that I was the only person being victimized by the U.S. government. However, um, after the Internet came along, I discovered that there was a community of other individuals who were also being victimized, and some were in very horrific ways. So there's a lot of suffering in the community, and a lot of similarities to my own suffering, but then some are going way far beyond what I'm experiencing. So we're all being victimized at some level, and it's horrendous interference in our lives, and we're trying to find solutions for that. I would say that the vast majority of people that I've been in contact with who believe they are being targeted really have no idea why them. But you're a little different. I mentioned Eleanor White. She also comes from, I believe she was with the Army Corps of Engineers. So she believes that there's some connection there. So you believe it has something to do with your service in the Navy. Is that correct? Well, in my case, it was directly due to my service in the U.S. Navy. So all the uh, organized stalking and harassment started with me the last year of my enlistment while stationed at the National Security Agency in Fort Meade. So during that year, it was kind of a hassle uh, with all the harassment going on and everything. And I was hoping that when my enlistment was up and I returned home, then everything would be good again. And, of course, I discovered after a couple of days of being at home in Cincinnati that all of the stalking had followed me there. So for the next 20 years, I just kind of had to deal with it on my own there. It was rough, I would say psychologically and economically it was rough, but I managed to survive until I found the community and then everything just instantly changed from my perspective. Just tell me a little bit about those early days when you were being targeted. First of all, were they targeting you because of something you had seen, something that you know, or was it simply you were a guinea pig? Well, in my case, it was persecution 
and it had to do with sexual orientation. I believe that they suspected I was gay in the Navy, and they began to stalk and harass me because of that. So it was every minute of my day was surveilled, which complicated my interactions with other people because they were also spreading all kinds of rumors and tales among my fellow servicemen. So that kind of made things difficult, and I became sort of like a pariah in the community. It was kind of rough, and I was hoping that by the time my enlistment rolled around a year later, that perhaps that would wind up. But they were basically just getting started. And that's been, what, 30 years ago now. That, that was November of 82 when I left the service. So nearly 40 years. That's going on 37 years, so four oh, decades. Yeah. Now, once you retired from the Navy, why would they continue to harass you? Well, I couldn't understand that either. You know, when I first discovered they had followed me home, I thought, well, maybe about six months and all this will wind up. But they kind of let me know that they were there for the duration and I believe they intend to, I'm 65 years old now, and I was 28 when this started. So they intend to have this campaign continue for the rest of my life. I believe that there'll be some type of intervention. I believe that so much is coming to the surface lately that in some way this will be discovered and all of this harassment will be stopped. So I believe that that is coming I would say within the next couple of years because of so many developments that have happened. And it's because of the community, because we have banded together and have promoted our cause in so many areas and uh, in so many ways it's coming to light and that is starting to pay off. I'm guessing the technology has changed dramatically. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm certain of it. In the last three and a half decades, we're not talking about crude microwave weapons uh you know i've seen illustrations where you can turn a microwave oven into a into a microwave weapon you just take the door off and you can sort of point it in a certain direction and so forth but back in the early 80s you mentioned that you were being surveilled are we talking about like remote neural monitoring or was it something more crude back then well it started with basically the stalking harassment and then it gradually went to things like, well, they were able to access my thoughts at one point. And that was kind of traumatizing at first when I realized that that had happened. And then it went to things like the voices. I could hear them talking to me and other things like ringing in my ears. And the technology is such that if you can hear their voices, which means they have access to certain areas of your brain, and which meant that they could also see through my eyes. They had access to my visual cortex, uh, my auditory cortex. They could speak to me and I would, I would hear them. They would hear my thoughts. All of our five senses they were able to access because of the technology had access to certain areas of my brain that governed those activities. So all my five senses they could pick up on. Whatever I saw, they saw. Whatever I could hear, they heard. And all of my thoughts were also audible to them. Even my feelings, they could even feel what I was feeling. 
So it was, I was totally, completely compromised in that way. I know they've had voice-to-skull technology since the early 70s, and you can see the patents online. Clearly, that technology exists. Uh, but I didn't realize that they had remote neural monitoring that far back. We're talking nearly 40 years ago. When you, when you discovered, realized that they could read your thoughts, how did, how did that come about? How did you know that they could read your thoughts? Okay, well, actually, what happened, uh, I discovered it, uh, I was on a, I was a delivery driver, and uh, I was out on the road, I was, I was working for a flower shop, and I was thinking something about my boss that was not necessarily uh, complimentary, um, and then um, when I got back to the office after delivering flowers, I noticed that people were acting, their body language was, was different. They were acting a little bit standoffish, and I happened to look over at the boss, and he had this sheepish grin on his face. And then I heard from one of the coworkers the exact words I was thinking out there. And I was, it was then that I realized, oh, my God, they have uh, uh, invaded the last bastion of privacy that I have. So that was the moment that I realized that uh, they had uh, had accessed uh, my thoughts. What um, happened? Were you fired as a result of that? I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't uh, actually fired. Uh, it made things a little awkward at work for a while, um, but I was able to maintain my relationship with them uh, cordially until they did let me go finally. And had to do with uh, it probably had to do with the harassment. They had some excuse for letting me go. It was maybe a couple of months later that that, that finally did happen. And actually, and there was there was a patent. Now this was back in 1980. That's about 1986 when this occurred. But actually, there was a patent um, that was um, that was the basis for this technology that was patented back in April of, two, of, of 1976. And this was an apparatus and method for remotely monitoring and altering brain waves. And it was a patent uh, by Robert Malik. And uh, this was, uh, according to Robert Duncan, who was one of the scientists in our community, this is really the patent that was the basis for remote neuromonitoring and a lot of the technology, the invasive technology that we are experiencing in our community. Has it been difficult for you to hold down a steady job? Um, it was when I was in the workplace uh, from 19, from the early 80s until I left the workplace in 2009. It was extremely difficult because every day was some new challenge from my bosses. Uh, rules would, would materialize out of thin air, so I'd have to constantly adjust my, uh, my work activities to what uh, was being handed down from my bosses who were being um, instructed by, these, uh, by the harassers, by the stalkers. So, in other words, your, your colleagues, your employers 
were were part of this organized stalking. In other words, they were brought in, they were brought on board uh, to to just further your torment and your your anguish. How are how are they brought on board? Are they paid? Well, you know, they were probably, um, from what I could tell, they were kind of um, uh, brought in as co-conspirators, I guess you could say. Um, they went along with the program that was laid out for me by these uh, by these stalkers, by the government stalkers. Uh, wherever I, I end up working, they approach the bosses, the supervisors, and say, well, this, this, and this is what we want you to do, and people cooperate. And so uh, whatever they have to make my day more difficult uh, from the stalkers, the bosses seem to cooperate uh, rather smoothly. And, uh, and, and in most instances, I was able to, you know, to do whatever they were asking, uh, no matter how, you know, increasingly difficult the tasks were. Um, I did manage to survive as long as I needed to. And, and when you were discharged from the Navy, I mean, did they try and fool around with your, your pension? I'm assuming you received a pension? No, um, I was only in for seven years, so I uh, was not eligible for a pension. Ah. And what about family? Uh, siblings, um, parents, did they attempt to sort of separate you from your family, pit your family members against you? Yeah, I feel that at certain times um, they they do try to co-opt family members uh, to do things, to say things, to make you know relations more difficult. Um, but I'm able to navigate my family relationships pretty well, and um, we're we're a good family, a cordial family, and it's it's been fine. Excellent. That's good news. Listen, Derek, we're going to take a time out. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk uh, in a little bit more detail about your organization, PACS, People Against Covert Torture and Surveillance International. Derek Robinson, the executive director, and we'll also have some tips as well for fellow targeted individuals. My name is Richard Serrett. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. Back with more. Stay with us. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. All right, welcome back. Derek Robinson is here, the Executive Director of PACS, People Against Covert Torture and Surveillance International. And we uh, we heard those uh, phone numbers coming back. We will take your calls at the top of the next hour, in hour two, uh, with Derek, questions and comments, and we hope to hear from some targeted individuals. Um what are some of the other symptoms if people are sitting here listening and thinking, wow, you know, could I be a targeted individual? Uh, you mentioned voice to skull, but everybody, not everyone is the same. They target people in different ways. What are some of the other um, hints or, or um, symptoms that you might be targeted, Derek? Okay. Um, the voices is one of the... Um electronic harassment uh, modalities. Um, 
And for those that um, experience severe electronic harassment, there are things like burning on their skin, um, their, their eyes, uh, sometimes um, uh, their vision gets blurry. Uh, there is there is uh, uh, memory loss. There are headaches. Um, there is forced speech. People are forced to say words that they don't mean to say. Uh, there are nosebleeds, uh, breathing difficulties, uh, even even heart uh, arrhythmias or heart attacks. Um, they're able to induce really serious you know physical conditions. Um, uh, muscle cramps are also a very common symptom, as well as um, uh, joint joint pains. Uh, there's a lot of ways that they can remotely influence uh, a person physically. Um, so, to some extreme uh, extent, in, in some cases, um, there are people that are hospitalized every year with very serious conditions and in very rare cases, but a few, um, in a few instances, people do pass away. We had a rash of people last year at the beginning of 2018 who uh, were passed, who passed away due to their um, severe attacks. Um, so it, it does happen. It is rare but some people do uh, succumb to their injuries. So this is a very; these are very serious assaults that happen to those that are really afflicted with electronic harassment. So it's really important that we bring this to the public's attention. What about the use of of um, implants in order to, for example, uh, take over so that they can see through your eyes, so they see what you're seeing. How is that accomplished? Well, I guess there's a, a variety of ways that that can happen. And there's uh, various uh, theories about um, how that occurs, whether it's um, by implants. Uh, nowadays, they don't really have to use implants, but we do find that some people are implanted. Um, there are also nanotechnologies that are found in some people and uh, during the days when Melinda Kidder, who was a um, detective in Missouri, uh, she was doing a lot of scanning uh, sessions for those in our community. And she would discover these nanotechnologies that were riddled throughout people's bodies. Uh, she has since discontinued her service because of um, hassle and harassment that she was receiving from um, these these shadowy types, I guess, are government. Uh, we presume that they're government uh, for the most part. Um, so she just discontinued her service, but uh, but she was able to detect uh, implants and also the nanotechnologies that affect our physical bodies. And how about for you personally, Derek? Do you have implants? Uh, well, actually, uh, Richard, I was. Uh, scanned back in 2011. Uh, there was a guy uh, named Jesse Beltran who was uh, crisscrossing the country uh, my, uh, scanning people for microchips. And this was during a time where we were just kind of learning the ropes in terms of the equipment to use and so forth. 
And uh, at that time, it was free because all of this was kind of experimental on our part. So um, in my case, I was scanned and found to have like um, about six or seven microchips, uh, one in my jaw and in my forearm, on uh, the back of my neck, and uh, some other places I can't recall right now. But there are several several places that were found to be emitting frequencies. And uh, what was interesting was that he noted that the frequencies that, that he was picking up were military frequencies. So myself and one other person in the room at that time, we were both emitting, uh, we were the only ones emitting military frequencies. So in my case, that was entirely you know, appropriate. And at, at what point in your life do you imagine they were able to implant these nano nano chips under your skin? Did you have elective surgery? Was it during a trip to the dentist? Do you do you have any idea? Well, um, I thought about that myself. You know, when I could have been implanted, uh, and it could have been a dental dental visit, um, and that happened just before I left the service. Um, one of the things they do besides the physical is a visit to the dentist. And it could have happened there. Uh, it could have been implanted or something. So um, possibly, possibly at that time, but I don't know specifically if uh, I haven't had other operations or beyond that. So I'm not sure when exactly it could have happened. Tell me more about forced speech. Does this affect you? Do you find yourself blurting out inappropriate things at inopportune times? You know, I've heard of that happening, but in my case, um, they're, they're sometimes able to um, um, mess around with my speech, and sometimes I'm not as clear as I want to be. Um, but as far as forcing me to say words that I don't mean to say, that has not happened to me. And what about heart arrhythmia for you? There have been actually a couple of attempts uh, that I feel were attempts to give me a heart attack. And uh, fortunately, it didn't get to that point, but... Um, I, I can feel that they were trying to induce something like that. And this is something they're, they're entirely uh, capable of inducing, and it just happens several times a year to people, you know, having heart attacks and really severe. I do know someone, a friend of mine, that um, is now suffering from an induced stroke. Uh, she was basically attacked. Um, she saw this car. She was walking out of, of work, and she saw this car that was kind of uh, going by, and then she suddenly felt some type of energy over, overtake her body, and she fell to the ground, and uh, she was rushed to the hospital, and um, she had had uh, some type of induced stroke. So they do have these, these portable... Uh, devices that can induce a range of really horrendous physical symptoms. So this is a really serious situation for a lot of people. 
I'm, I'm guessing that if they wanted to kill someone remotely with a heart attack or a stroke, they could do that. Are they at that point? Yes, and it, and it happens sometimes. Um, I'm trying to think of a specific incident where that happened, like instantaneously. But um, in most cases, it's um, it's over a period of time that people, you know, survive attack after attack, and it just kind of wears their body down to a point where they the body just gives out. And a few people pass away each year uh, because of a, this slow kill effect. So, and how about now that you've become a spokesperson? Here you are, your executive director for PACTS, People Against Covert Torture and Surveillance International. You speak on the radio, you speak on television, at public events. Has that, because you're now raising awareness... Has that caused them to intensify their attacks against you? Um, at times. Um, when I did the coast-to-coast interview, yeah, there were reprisals afterwards. And I, I lost family members. Um, it's, um, I've not been on coast-to-coast since that, that time. But um, there hasn't been, I mean, Costa Coast has such a huge following. Right. Uh, Listen, I've got to, uh, sorry, I, the music's coming on here. We've got to take a quick time out. We'll follow up on that point when we come back. Derek Robinson, Executive Director of PAX International, back with more on electronic harassment and torture when The Conspiracy Show returns. My name is Richard Serrett. Where there's smoke... There's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serra. All right, welcome back. Derek Robinson stays with us for the full two hours as we continue to delve into electronic torture and harassment, electronic surveillance, a remote neural monitoring, voice-to-skull technology. He is the executive director of a support group for targeted individuals, a growing community. Uh, as more people are waking up to this uh, horrible, horrible uh, targeting, and it's PACS International, People Against Covert Torture uh, and Surveillance. And um, we were in the middle of talking about how or whether you're being targeted more since you've become sort of a, a public figure in this regard. And you said that when you do coast to coast, obviously a huge platform. What happens after you do coast, for example? Will the, the voice to skull sort of ramp up or how, how else are they targeting you? Um, sometimes they make threats um, before I would do something like in a major market like coast to coast. Um but I don't do those very often, so that really is not an issue so much. So tell me about PACTS. Uh, how did it form? When did it form? How many members, etc.? Okay. Uh, well, we formed in, officially in January of 2016. Um, we, have, we currently have about, about 2,000 that are on my email list that I correspond with uh, on a regular basis. Um, 
basically our mission is to the targeted individual community to help those who are being affected by electronic harassment and organized stalking. And we have basically become a haven for those who um, are experiencing the stalking and harassment and have nowhere else to turn, uh, who are victimized by microwave weapons and uh, directed energy weapons, as well as the, uh, the organized stalking. We have a number of professionals even in our community. We have doctors, attorneys, engineers, scientists, psychologists, authors. Uh, we deal with city council officials. And we even uh, deal, uh, well, lately I've been in correspondence with uh, someone from the House Judiciary Committee. So even um, those in Congress, and I hear that there are some Congress members that are also targeted. Um, we have a conference calls. Uh, our organization has um, calls on Saturday night and uh, Monday night. This is our uh, podcast. And let's see. Basically, our mission is is threefold. Um, it is uh, networking and support for victim survivors. Um, advocacy of our issues to elected officials and outreach to the media and the general public. Those are our three uh, areas that we focus on. Um, I would say that we have made lots of progress since we first started out in 2005. It's been increasing uh, year by year. And uh, it seems like the last couple of years, the... Uh, the progress has made a market. Uh, we've made some tremendous progress in the past couple of years, uh, particularly since um, the news story happened, uh, as I mentioned earlier, about the diplomats in Cuba and China. That has really um, um, exponentially increased our um, uh, our issues and brought them basically front and center to the American public. Uh, they're basically, uh, the news, the mainstream news is basically starting to, to speak energy, the directed energy weapons or microwave weapons. If, uh, if we had said those to the public, sent those terms to the public a couple of years ago, uh, they would not have been understood, uh, nor would they have been believed. But now we are hearing these terms uh, from hospital personnel, doctors, uh, uh, scientists, and so forth, were actually uh, concluding that these diplomats were attacked with directed energy weapons or microwave weapons. So that is basically paving the way for, um, for us to be taken seriously in terms of being victimized by these weapons. So as this story continues to develop in the news, I think that at some point, our issues will be grafted in, and I think that would dynamically change the paradigm of our targeting. Have any, and these were uh, embassy staff from Canada, even Canada, the United States, in, in Cuba, uh, and China, I believe, as well. Have any, have any family members, anyone... Uh, Involved in those embassies, have they and that have been affected by this? Have any of those people reached out to you? 
They have not, uh, basically, and it may have to do with the fact that they are under a gag order not to, not to talk to the press at this time. So we haven't heard from them, although uh, at some point we may. So we'll see, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, in the meantime, we have uh, made contact with uh, the, one of the doctors uh, at the University of Miami. Uh, Derek, just hold on to that point. Excuse the interruption. We'll pick up pick up on that point uh, when we come back. Derek Robinson, Executive Director, PAX International, targeted individuals on the Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Peering into the shadows, where the truth often hides. You're listening to the Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. All right, welcome back. Derek Robinson stays with us. Targeted individuals, and uh, just before the break, I interrupted you. We were talking about whether or not uh, embassy staff that have been affected by uh, what appears to be uh, microwave uh, weaponry in in Cuba, whether any of them have reached out to you. And you were about to t- tell me about a, a doctor in Miami. Do we have Derek? Are you there, Derek? Oh, sorry about that. Um, no worries. The uh, the doctor in Miami that examined the um, diplomats, his name is Dr. Michael Hoffer, I believe his name is. Um, he recently did a uh, news conference with some of his colleagues and um, uh, explaining uh, what exactly they they did when uh, they came to see him, the diplomats came to see him. And he began to use terms like directed energy weapons or microwave weapons. They were openly using those terms that we use all the time in the community. Um, and this is to the mainstream press. So um, it seemed, and he also mentioned that he had been getting calls from all over the world from people who had uh, been suffering similarly. So um, several members of our community contacted him and were well received by his office and have appointments to, to see him uh, late this month and early next month. So we'll see what happens with that, uh, with those contacts uh, with his office and see, you know, how he, you know, plans to deal with targeted individuals that might come to visit him. So this could be very significant for our cause. So this is uh, really a, a very important avenue that could promote um, our issues, especially if we get acceptance by the medical community, because um, our relationship with the medical community up to this time has been very adversarial for some reason, and uh, they have basically uh, labeled many in our community as delusional. So many... Uh, a uh, certain percentage of our community have that label. Uh, but because of these events that have happened, all that could change uh, with the medical community uh, realizing and accepting the technologies that can affect a person remotely and uh, that taking, taking into consideration um, we could now um, speak to police, we could talk to hospital uh, personnel, uh, potentially, uh, about microwave weapons, and uh, we'll be believed. So a, a lot is really at stake at this particular moment. 
What was happening with the embassy staff? Uh, what sort of symptoms, for those not familiar with the story, how were they being affected in uh, the embassy in Havana? Um, well, a lot of the symptoms that they were experiencing kind of mirrored uh, the things that we, our, many in our community are experiencing. Uh, the headache, the uh, loss of balance, uh, the memory loss, uh, cognitive issues, um, nosebleed. Um, and I think there was something about heart arrhythmias. I'm not sure about that. But um, a list of symptoms that kind of matched um, the things that we are experiencing. Um, sleep deprivation is very common in our community. I think that was one of the things they were also experiencing, as well as uh, certain sounds, um, you know, that they were hearing. Uh, many in our communities experience that as well. So a lot of things paralleled um, with diplomats are were experiencing and still are some are still still experiencing those uh, symptoms they parallel the things that we are also experiencing so we're going to see if um, we can also be recognized um, as victims of directed energy weapons microwave weapons and therefore start to receive some assistance and recognition for this issue you mentioned that someone from the u.s house a judiciary committee uh, had reached out to you. Um, can you tell me uh, when this happened and why and, and what was discussed? Uh, basically, this happened a couple of months ago, and this is uh, an individual that is an office. She works in the office, I believe, and the judiciary committee, um, the committee office. And uh, I was astonished, you know, I asked her what type of work she did. She, and she lived in D.C. I asked her what, what she did, and she told me she worked in the Judiciary Committee, and I was astonished at first. So this is um, not a congressman, congressman or a congresswoman. This is a, a staff member uh, who right. works for a congressman who's on the, on the Judiciary, judiciary Committee. Exactly. And Okay. Uh, but I also understand that um, it, it's rumored. I haven't. I really cannot verify this, but there are rumors that some uh, actual Congress members are victimized as well. But we've heard that all along. Basically, uh, from the very beginning, we were told that uh, there were some in Congress who were also victimized by this technology. To what extent, I'm not sure, because we haven't spoken directly to them. How readily available is this technology? If it's just rejigging a microwave oven, so, for example, if someone in the apartment next to you, and again, a lot of this information is available online, the technology, the crude, more rudimentary uh, technology is available online. Could anybody with the means and the, um, the wherewithal have access to this technology? Or are we talking about really sort of top-level, uh, you know, black ops? Well, we are talking about uh, black ops, in my opinion, and some really advanced technologies that could create just unbelievable effects on the human body. Although, at the same time, I've seen uh, on YouTube 
uh, videos where people uh, demonstrate that, uh, you know, they can take a microwave oven and create a directed energy weapon from it. Right. Uh, so that is possible for um, a layperson to create some type of a microwave weapon just, you know, from their, from their uh, microwave oven. So that is possible. I mentioned that because one of the people that I interviewed, for, and you may recall her name, um, she was in the same episode that you were in. I went to New York City. Uh, I met this woman who lived in uh, an apartment. I believe it was on the Lower East Side, if memory serves. And she it was a quite it was a, a lovely apartment, uh, but it was rent controlled. And she believed that someone living beside her or above her or below her was targeting her. Um, they wanted her out of the apartment because they wanted a family member to move in or something like that. In other words, this was not sort of, a, you know, a, a, someone in a government agency doing this. This was someone who maybe they they just wanted her out for personal reasons. Right. We have found that this technology has gotten into the hands of the private sector as well. And there's all kinds of agendas that are going on. Uh, people that have vendettas against an individual for one reason or another um, have access to these microwave weapons. And they are just now becoming um, known to the public. Uh, we've known about them, of course, for years. But, um, but yeah, there are those that have their own private agendas that are using this technology to cause suffering to, uh, you know, regular citizens. What about organized crime? Are they using it? Um, again, we suspect that they are. There are some members in our community that feel that they are being victimized by organized crime, the mafia, or whatever. And uh, those, uh, it seems that these criminal groups have access to this technology, um, whether it be drug rings, sex rings, um, uh, organized crime, all of those types, uh, these criminal types, um, seem to have access to this weaponry. I believe it is because of those, um, uh, the shadowy elements of our government that kind of um, are in contact with shadowy shadowy elements of our society, and they kind of work hand in glove. So um, it's not surprising that these individuals would also have access to this technology. Uh, Derek, we're coming up uh, on the top of the hour, and we'll break when we come back. We'll open up the phone lines and take questions and comments. Hopefully, we'll hear from some uh, targeted individuals. Uh, just in the few moments before the break, let me ask you, do you have a handle on how many uh, North Americans, let's say, North Americans may be targeted individuals based on the data that you've collected thus far? Um, actually, we have some pretty good estimates of victims, and I would say probably in the United States, and that would be about one to two million victims. Um, one to two million? That, yeah, one to, one to two million. I think that's a pretty accurate estimate. 
And uh, that was actually given to us by someone who was a whistleblower who presented himself to our community a couple of years ago as having worked for a security firm that was targeting individuals in the Seattle area. Uh, well, listen, listen. We'll, um, I want to talk about that individual, that whistleblower, when we come back. Uh, on the other side, uh, Derek Robinson stays with us for hour two on targeted individuals right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us.